Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. Okay, so I'm here with Todd Burroughs, who I met through a closed Facebook group of ex-Kobu members, and Todd was willing to talk to me today about his story and just our mutual interest in all things Kobu. We were there at different times, but you have a lot to say about your time in Kobu. So thanks, Todd, for joining me. Glad to do it. So you actually are a contributor to a website that I have been perusing for the past few days in depth. It's called freefromthegrip.com. You have a lot of contributions to that website. Can you tell me what is on there and if people are interested in Kobu, what they're going to find there? Yeah, freefromthegrip.com. I mean, the name says a lot of it. We believe that we know how to help people to get free from the grip of Kobu. Uh, Unfortunately, Kobu wasn't, you know, there's a lot of just people who were in that group can't agree on what it was. Uh, But I know what I think it was. I think it was a cult. And uh, what makes it really difficult to recover from that was that real Christianity was woven in along with a lot of falsehood. And that's what makes, you know, and there was a lot of deception in the name of Christ. And that's what makes it difficult to to get over. So free from the grip is a lot of things. It's us sharing our witness. It's us sharing our remedy. And it's us, you know, exposing what we believe Kobu really was. And it's not pretty. It's, you know, I've had people really get offended by our writing. We're offering a pretty different point of view than what your your standard view you get from ex-members is. Now, when you say you're offering a different view, is it because you're refuting a lot of what you learned in Kobu with Christianity? Because I noticed that on the site, you're using Bible verses and, you know, things that people were taught and refuting it with the re- what you would interpret as a different way of looking at the Bible. 
Yeah, I, I think it'll be good for me to kind of go back and just share a short testimony of my experience. Sure. And how Living Water kind of ties into that. So I I grew up Jewish. I was born Jewish. And I remember when I was a kid reading the Bible and thinking to myself, man, God was just so real to Abraham. I hope when I grow up that I have that type of relationship. And I, I still remember I was in fifth grade in Hebrew school when I was reading it. So fast forward uh, through the, the drug haze of the 70s in my life. And I had a buddy who was into another false religion uh, where you would take LSD to get to God. And he, he basically, but again, it was mixed with real Christianity. And he said to me, do you believe in, you know, uh, what do you think of the New Testament? Not, you know, to show you how ignorant I was, I said, what's that? <laughs> and he said, it's, uh, it's about Jesus. And I said, well, I'm Jewish. I don't believe in Jesus. And he said, well, if I give you a Bible, will you read it? Are you a fair person? And I said, yeah, I am. I'll read it. And when I read it, I had the exact same reaction I had when I was in fifth grade. And I said, oh, my gosh, this is the same. And I was like, I, I believe in Jesus. Fast I don't want to bore you with all the details, but fast forward a year later and I met some Kobu people at a rock concert, Kevin Brown and John Bevilacqua. John actually was from my hometown and I, I, I graduated with his younger brother and sister. And um, I got saved, ended up in Kobu. It was pretty good living with them. They lived outside of the group. Mm. And about two weeks later, I met Stuart for the first time. And that's when everything, you know, kind of went downhill. I moved in. I was miserable. I was in the group for two years and I was under the influence for three more after that. Uh, 1989, I went back to my first meeting in three years. I was still a full-blown cult member, even though I hadn't been there for three years. Uh, Stuart admitted that he missed Grace and it set off a real reaction in me of anger, you know, because there was always part of me that doubted and I would ask the different members about my doubts and they would make me feel bad about him. And I was like, you know, I did all this stuff under his authority and he just admits that he was wrong, you know, and the yeah. Holy Spirit showed me after that, that I didn't have to listen anymore. And that was the first way that I got free from the grip. Well, I was friendly with a, a brother named Joe Carilli, who uh, was hanging out with Dave Simmons and his wife, Cynthia. And th that I was told that there was prophecies and uh, and that it was all about how Stuart was wrong. And I was curious, unlike most of the ex-members that I met, I was curious and I wanted to check it out. And, you know, 30 years later, I'm still part of the group. They helped me to understand, you know, it, I mean, it was really intense therapy in a way. But at the same time, it was all low pressure. And so to go back to your original question, I learned over time to separate the baby from the bathwater. Mm -hmm. So when you when you go on free from the grip, I, you know, it would be my hope that that comes across that. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And I feel, you know, kind of like what they talked about in when Moses said, let my people go so that they can serve me freely in the wilderness. I feel that I've been set free from Kobu and all it's 
you know, I mean, there's always going to be a little bit of, of an experience like that left over. But little by little, through prayer and meeting with them, I was able to unwind myself and I was willing to start over from scratch. And that was the key. And I felt the Holy Spirit showed me that. I completely started over and I said, I need to examine everything I learned because if my foundation is rotten, I need to tear it out and start over. And that's terrifying. And I understand why people don't like that message, but it it worked for me. This whole series, that the, season one is focusing on, on Kobu because I have a personal connection to it, but I'm interested in just the way cults operate on the whole. And Kobu, to me, is and always has been a cult, although my parents have never called it a cult. My mom recently has started calling it a cult. My dad still does not. And I firmly believe that most cults run on pretty much a series of like 10 axioms. I mean, they all, you know, they manifest in different ways. How do, how do you see this group being classified as a cult? And like when you're saying it's a built on a deception, I think that's one of the major tenets of any cult, the big lie, you know? And it comes from the top. But just give us your take. No, just give us your take on that. All right. So what makes Kobu so difficult was both the fact that we lived in Mm 24-7 and the fact that we said the sinner's prayer, received God's spirit, and it all kind of got mixed together with Stuart's wrong views about who God was. And if you look back on Mike Montoya's site, He has a really good history on there. Hi, Mike. I know you don't think I like you, but you did some pretty good work on that site. Um, You know, that history from day one, he stole the flock of someone else. And there was this guy, Jingo, who was trying to call him on it. And Stuart was mocking him. And if you look at the earliest teaching of the church that they would put on tracks or in and I forget the name of this one study that I read. I mean, Kobe, I, I have a, one of my many sayings is Koba uh, was the same yesterday, today and forever. And so was Stuart Trail. It just in the beginning, when everyone was young and people were excited and people were getting saved, there was a lot more positivity. But uh, Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I believe that the wrong the wrong views about who God was, that God was harsh and would, you know, would beat you over the head to, for discipline. All that stuff was there in the beginning. And just as the Bible says, you know, that the the, the man of faith, it gets brighter and brighter until noon day. I thought I heard God say to me at one point along the line, and for the wicked, it gets darker and darker until judgment. So Kobu got worse predictably because it wasn't godly. But what makes it so difficult is convincing ex-members that even though Jesus was there and you received Jesus, and there was a lot of one of the Many things that can drive me crazy about ex-members is they'll say, well, we had good Bible teaching, or I learned the Bible there. And my experience is I had to unlearn. And that when I've got when my eyes were opened and the the scales went away from my eyes, all of a sudden, all this great stuff that's in the Bible, I finally could accept. And all the harsh stuff, I mean, I've talked to a lot of ex-members who went years where they couldn't read the Bible or they couldn't read the Revised Standard Version. I can read the RSV. 
And, you know, it took some time and at times I would get triggered, but then I would pray about it. And over time, I feel I got healed so that I can read the Bible freely. I don't know how well I answered your question, but I, I put a few things out there. Yeah, that no, that gets that gets to where I was going with this is that what is the big lie? And I think what I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that Stuart used an existing paradigm, which was Christianity, to tout his lies. You know, he well, he, he, he used he, something he, that already existed and made it awful. He shared his view of God. That's what a teacher does. Do you think it right? was really his view of God, though? Oh, I, I you know, I mean, that's that uh, what he really was sharing was him. And he was an idol and he put a false idol in the place of God in our hearts. You know, when I say we learned a false Christ, I'm not kidding. You know, I, one of my sayings early on was the big lie is that Stuart cared about you. Right. And, you know, you listen to a lot of the older ex-members and they, and you hear them blurble in meet, old meetings and stuff. Well, I know that Stuart cares about us. No, he didn't. <laughs> he, he didn't care when you he cared when you came. He cared when you handed in a paycheck, but he didn't care about your spiritual health. He didn't care when you left. He didn't look for you when you left. He didn't care about us. You know, the facts are that what he cared about was the money and the women and the power. You can deny that if you want, but I ain't buying it anymore. I agree with you. I mean, just from what I've researched, and I I didn't live it like you did, but I couldn't agree actually, with you more. You did, actually, you did. I did. I did. I lived with the after effects of it and, you know, and, and seeing a lot of people trying to move through their lives after having spent their formative years in, in the forever family, the beginning of this group, and then Kobu, you know, for the first few years when people were still allowed to have relationships and get married and have kids, but still lived in they fear. They were allowed to. They left and did it against Stuart's will because they got tired of being told they weren't faithful. They lost hope and they left. I mean, 90 percent, if not more, of the people who left didn't leave because they wanted to leave. It was because he pursued them with misery and, and and saying that they were unfaithful and they gave their best. The best that they had was not good enough. And so eventually we all left discouraged because of that. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we got mad. You know, most of us when we got married, not me, I was far past that when I got married. But, you know, many who, like from your generation, your parents generation, they had you still thinking that they had left God's best. Now, now, this has always been a question of mine, though. When did the clamp down on relationships and marriage happen? Because when my parents were in it, they were all allowed to get married and there was no real discussion about it. And there were tons of kids who were in the group because people people met each other in Kobu, fell in love and got married in Kobu. And this was very early on, you know, this was early 70s to mid 70s. So but then when they all left, it seemed like things changed in the late 70s and into the obviously ever, ever after that, where it was That's absolutely true. forbidden. So it, it really, truly was not discouraged when they were there. I think Stuart, uh, you're right. You're my, absolutely yeah. right. But but even then, he had all these weird rules about men and women. Oh, totally. That, that, yes. that, that, that totally screwed up the relationships. But you're right. I would say that, you know, th when he married Gail, I don't think anyone got married after him. 
which is always kind of interesting. You know, he put away his first wife, made excuses. You know, there's a lot of uh, info out there that he took Gail before they were married. And oh, absolutely. uh, 100 percent. But no, but no, no one got married in the group legally after he married Gail. So, you know, again, even though it was allowed in the early days, I have to believe I don't know this for 100 percent, but I have to believe, you know, things just don't happen out of nowhere. They head in a direction. So I, I just think that it was heading in the direction. And ultimately, again, back to the thing with the money, you know, the Bible says that, you know, the single man has less concerns. You know, Stuart wanted people uh, people out there witnessing and, and working for him. And when you had a wife and you had kids, you know, the, it splits your loyalty. So ultimately, I think that's, you know, deep down why it ended with the relationships, you know, and then I, I also think, you know, deep down, he wanted all the women for himself, all the ones he was interested in anyway. That, you know, that's always been a question of mine that um, at least my parents' generation of Kobu could never answer because they didn't see that behavior later on. They were there during the Shirley days. And then when he married Gail shortly after that. But what I've learned from talking to those of you who've come later is that Stuart surrounded himself with the single women. And I have questions about that because that's very cult leader vibe. I mean, that's, oh, it's, it's oh, very cult leader to it, just it, want all the like, women for yourself and put down all the men. 101. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, look at, what was that? David Koresh? Totally. And there, a, and there was a bunch of kids that looked exactly like him running around. Exactly. Uh, you know, there, it, well, and and look, I, I think Stuart was overcame by a spirit. And that spirit has certain trappings, right? Just like, you know, if you look at the one of the things that really helped me when I got out was my eyes were open to the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. You can tell who's seeking God, not by their words. That's one of the biggest lessons because Stuart was God. And you listen to a lot of the Kobu people who seem to be completely still under the grip and they God talk you to death. It's not a person's words that matter. It's a person's actions. You know, do, do they have peace? Do they have love? Do they have patience? Are they willing to, to look for the best in others? Um, those are the fruits of the spirit. And that's how you tell someone sincere from someone who's insincere. And in the same way, someone who's insincere has these, you know, they tend to be very harsh. They don't have patience for people. Stuart didn't have the heart of a shepherd. And then that, you know, uh, the love of money, the love of women, the love of power. You know, all those trappings are covered in the fruits of the flesh. And he had all of that and had it up to his death, I believe. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he got a perfect score, I believe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I read on the one of the groups we're in how on the day of his death, people were saying, and I don't know if this is a fact, but there were rumors floating around that he was actually holding a conference call condemning people or saying who was right with God and who wasn't. And he was oh, doing yeah, this. Judas. He was he, it was it was the Judas. But he'd been, you I know, mean, come on. He was, he was a one trick pony. Yeah. I mean, at the end, you know, after the grace meeting, when he admitted that he had missed grace 
And we all did. I got up and walked out. But when everyone didn't get up and walk out on him, it was pretty much carte blanche. He could do whatever he wanted from then on. But even before that grace meeting, I I was living with an ex-member in the uh, late 80s. And he went to a meeting and he came home and he was devastated because he volunteered to jump into the lake of fire. So, I mean, you know, different people were like, get blown away by this stuff. And I wrote on uh, to someone, I said, it was a day like any other day. It, it, you know, it, Stuart, again, he was, Stuart Trail was the same yesterday, today and forever. Right. I mean, he got worse, but his core beliefs, and, and here's an interesting one. I've heard that he was an atheist before he got, before the group. Right. He, and so... Uh, I always like to say that he was an atheist and then he spent the rest of his life trying to disprove God and us. You know, did he really believe in, in any even semblance of Christianity? It seems like he just used it kind of like a Keith Raniere with Nexium or a David Miscavige with Scientology. I mean, all these cult leaders are very similar. Stuart was really a low level cult leader when you look at his you know rate of success. but. It's the same thing. It's like they themselves don't actually believe what they're selling. They just sell it to benefit themselves. The difference is Scientology wasn't based on real Christianity. Uh, A lot of these other groups weren't. Stuart's was. Right. And, And the fact that he just couldn't show grace or any of the traits of the spirit to his followers meant that the effects, you know, when it comes to damage... I think, you know, it's hard, you know, I know it's hard for people in those groups to get healed as well, but. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
you know, the, 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 the hardest thing for me was, you know, it was all blended together. It took patience and it was like a, it was like the weed had grown up around the plant very, very tightly. And so it took time and, and careful pruning. And that's why when people say to me, oh, I, I just shrugged it off. I went to a church and I was fine. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's not my place to tell you that's not true. Right. But more likely than not, I think that there is still deception. And, you know, it echoes the stories of some others I've talked to who really needed other either ex-members or someone else around them to act as a mentor or a spiritual guide or just an just a listening ear that wasn't judgmental. You know, we hear sometimes about cult deprogramming and that sometimes works, sometimes sends someone running right back into a cult if it's done the wrong way. And so I think what you're talking about is a form of deprogramming, but a kind, gentle one. Absolutely. And see, one thing to realize is that Kobu people are wounded. Yeah. Whether they want to admit it or not, whether they want to fess up to it or not, mm -hmm. I believe that anyone who is in that group suffered wounds. Most of us left at the time thinking that we were leaving God's best. And, you know, it, so when you talk about listening ear, Dave Simmons, for the first three years, five years, whatever it was, I mean, I call him three, four times a week and he would just listen. I mean, I've never met. I mean, I wish I could listen like that. As you can tell, I'm more of a talker. <laughs> but, you know, no. And, and the thing was, I got touched. And I knew I got touched. And, you know, when I first left, God gave me enough of a sense of what my condition was for me to take actions in faith. And I knew that my heart was like clenched like a fist because I had been abused. And by him being kind and listening and letting me learn at my own pace and praying to God. And, you know, the best thing he ever did for me was, you know, after about four months of just kind of giving me spiritual food whenever I wanted it, he, he started saying, you need to pray to God yourself. You need to dig out in your heart. And his wife said this one, you need to dig out a deeper place in your heart for God to live. And that was a really hard saying to accept. But looking back, it was 100 percent true. So they didn't just keep giving me fish. They patiently helped me to learn how to fish myself. Right. And they weren't telling you you were wrong because you didn't know how. Oh, uh, I mean, the complete opposite. Right. And which was, was just Stuart's way of controlling everyone, just constantly telling you anything you think is wrong. Everything I'm telling you is right. Well, I mean, it's it's typical power and control tactics, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we see that in politics now, and I know that's a real hot button issue for a lot of ex-members have gotten into the, the whole right wing thing. Uh, and it, to me, it's a very similar voice. And I know, boy, anyone who might have been listening probably hung up after I said that. But <laughs> Well, that's an interesting note. I haven't heard that before, but I can see how, you know, I can see how that's a parallel. Absolutely. If you don't understand the first deception, you're set up for another one. I read on a site last year when I started doing research about this, that there was a cult programmer, and I forget his name. He said he runs an institute in Arizona. It's not one I'm interviewing, but he said that 
Kobu members are some of the most difficult to, in his words, deprogram because there is an actual belief system underneath that they want to keep. Correct. Whereas with, like we we're saying with Scientology, you can walk away and you can say, I don't believe that thetans exist anymore, if thetans or whatever. I don't believe in this auditing process. Like this is just a bunch of BS to me now. But if you want to keep your faith that Kobu intertwined some of that with its craziness, you separating that is way harder than just throwing it out. Right. And that's why deprogrammers, not just this guy, but, you know, deprogrammers passed, you know, God spoke to us prophetically and he said that, the the pastors who do care, who meet Kobu people, they really grieve because they don't know how to help them. They want to, but they just don't know how. Right. And and that's, you know, look, I'm going to say a bunch of things that are hard sayings. That's a hard saying. A lot of people don't know how to help Kobu people, but I think that I do. You know, I get how hard of a saying that is. If If I was in my old mindset and I heard that, I'd be like, who the heck is this guy? think he is. You know, he was one of us. <laughs> but, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say that the truth that the, you know, most people don't know how to help Kobu people. And I think that I do. And I think that the p- other people at Living Water know how to help Kobu people. The problem we have is we, don't, we just don't get many customers and we don't believe in chasing for customers. So that's another hard saying for ex-members because they are, you know, they were chased constantly in Kobu and they can't imagine that we don't have any interest in chasing after them because, you know, the only way it really works is if God shows you. But at the same time, if you're not interested, I'm not going to push myself on you because Kobu people had enough of being put upon, about being pushed. They can't take it. And even some of the stuff that I write on the site sometimes, you know, I I, I wonder if I'm doing the best thing. Ultimately, if I meet an ex-member, if they DM me privately, you know, there's plenty of people who have. I don't bring up living water uh, other than as part of my own experience because I don't want to push. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not in the business of searching for customers and customers is a terrible word because I, we don't want anything from you other than to help you. Now, when you when you were saying living water, let's just back up there for a moment. Is this a church? What is this group? I would call it a prayer. I, I, it's Dave Simmons, me, couple of there's only a few of us. And it's a prayer group, essentially. When if people ask me what it is, I say it's a prayer group. OK. Uh, yeah. And 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 living water put out free from the grip.com. Okay, got it. So this is the so this isn't like church certified under any certain building or name or anything like that. This is what you know. No, but, your but I, I I know most member ex members think I'm certifiable, so you, you got that. <laughs> We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.